Part 2, Nesson. Chapter 22, Martin's Memory. Martin Nesson's head was aching far worse than it had been earlier this morning, and as he slowly opened his eyes, bright light flooded his vision, momentarily blinding him. He felt something warm dripping down the left side of his forehead, and when he went to feel it, there was a sharp sting. He pulled his hand away, and it was covered in fresh blood. Nesson was lying on the floor of Perry Penderwinkle's corner office, alone, only the room's furniture to keep him company. The last he remembered there had been a man pointing a gun at Perry and himself, and then the man had called Nesson over to speak with him, and that's the last he remembered. Judging from the wound on his head, the man must have hit him with his gun, knocking him out. But what about Perry, and the other man for that matter? Martin sat up slowly, carefully, feeling a fresh wave of dizziness as he tried to keep himself upright. He glanced down at the floor, a pool of his own blood staining the carpet. His head was beginning to throb, and he was afraid he may pass out again. Looking around the room, Nesson could find no other evidence of the two men who had been in here just moments before. Had the man shot Perry? Had he kidnapped him? Where were they now? There was only one way to know for certain. Very gingerly, Nesson crawled a few steps forward, using Perry's desk to stabilize himself as he attempted to get to his feet. The room reeled in front of him as he struggled to maintain his balance. Nesson noticed, for the first time, the door on the wall to his right. If memory served, it was only a closet. But a closet large enough to hold a body. Oh, dear God, Martin prayed silently. Please don't let Perry be inside there. Martin Nesson thought he was going to be sick again. Did he call someone? What if there was a body in the closet? He was the only one in the room. Wouldn't he be the most likely suspect? Better to check first before notifying someone else. If there was a dead body in that closet, Nesson would need to have his story straight. But surely no one would believe him capable of such a crime, would they? He was getting ahead of himself. He took three steps toward the closet and then paused. Martin exhaled, then took in a deep breath. He exhaled once more. All right, Martin, you can do this. Just open the door and be done with it. Another step forward, then another. A few more steps and his hand finally rested on the door handle. Cautiously, he turned the handle and a loud ringing sound. Martin yelped as he jumped back from the door. The sound was coming from the phone on Penderwinkle's desk. Nesson breathed a sigh of relief and turned back toward the door as the phone rang a second time. Ignoring the ringing, Nesson turned the handle and swung open the closet door in one swift movement. To his great relief, there was no one inside. Its contents were far less interesting. A rolled-up foam mattress and some bedding laying on the floor, along with some clothes and what appeared to be a box of various odds and ends sitting on the top shelf. Martin was in the clear. The phone rang a third time and then a fourth time. Nesson would let the call go to Perry's answering machine. But the phone continued to ring. Maybe Perry didn't set up his answering machine, Nesson thought. Should he let the phone keep ringing and just leave the office? Who would be calling Penderwinkle anyway? His curiosity getting the better of him, Nissen marched over to the desk and answered the phone. 
Yes, hello, he said, sounding quite annoyed. Who's calling? Penderwinkle, is that you? Came a man's voice. The connection's not great on this line, I'm afraid, Perry. I can barely hear you and you don't sound like yourself. Perry, this is Cranley. I've been trying to reach you for days. Where the bloody hell have you been? I've got something I need. Mr. Cranley, I'm afraid Mr. Penderwinkle is... Nissen started, unsure what exactly to say next. Well, I'm afraid he's indisposed at the moment. Indisposed? What are you talking about? Who is this? The voice demanded. Mr. Cranley, this is... This is Martin Nissen. I work with Mr. Penderwinkle. Well, actually, I'm one of his supervisors, Nissen explained. But Mr. Penderwinkle is no longer at the office. He appears to have left for the day. Mr. Nesson, it is of the utmost importance that I speak with Mr. Penderwinkle as soon as possible. Now, I just spoke with someone on the phone that assured me he would be in today. Are you telling me that he has not come in? persisted Cranley. It's, well, he, yes, Mr. Cranley, he was in, but now he appears to have, now he's gone. An associate of his arrived only a few moments ago, an English fellow, and I believe they must have left together. Nissen concluded vaguely. English, did you say? Mr. Nissen, can you describe him to me? Better yet, did he tell you his name? Cranley asked. He, yes, of course. He said his name was Ing, uh, Ingra, Ingram. Yes, Ingram, Marcus Ingram, Nissen relayed nervously. The line went silent, and Martin Nissen wondered if Cranley was still on the line. But then the voice returned with a new sense of urgency behind it. You say Marcus Ingram came to your office just this morning, Cranley said, more a statement than a question. I expect he and Penderwinkle exchanged words. Tell me what was said, and I urge you, Mr. Nissen, not to hold anything back. Your associate, Mr. Penderwinkle's very safety may depend on it. And so Martin Nissen recounted the entirety of the morning's events to Mr. Cranley. From the moment Penderwinkle entered his office, finding Martin on the floor, to their argument to the unexpected entrance of Marcus, to the moment when Nissen was knocked unconscious. Mr. Cranley peppered him with questions throughout the entirety of his story, but when he finally finished his telling, Nissen felt a great weight lifted off his chest. This strange burden was no longer his alone to bear. Thank you, Mr. Nissen. You've been most helpful. Should I need to reach you again, I will call your office. And one last bit of business... The matters we discussed are quite sensitive, and your discretion would be greatly appreciated. I would not advise you to make this incident public to your co-workers or to the authorities, as odd as it may seem. I assure you it's for Mr. Penderwinkle's safety, Cranley explained. But, Mr. Cranley, sir, this man had a, had a gun. He threatened Mr. Penderwinkle, threatened to kill him. For all I know, he may have done just that. I'm sure you're not suggesting that I just pretend this never happened, Mr. Cranley, protested Nissen in disbelief. I know that it is difficult for you to understand, Mr. Nissen, but that is exactly what I am suggesting. Tell me this. Did Mr. Penderwinkle ever speak to you of his prior work, his work in England? No, uh, he was always quite private, though I do think he mentioned something about working for a non-profit of some kind. Nissen recollected. Mr. Nissen, I know this may come as quite a shock to you, but Perry Penderwinkle worked for the British Intelligence Service for over four decades. Never in all his years did he work for a non-profit. 
said Cranley, quite matter-of-factly. Martin Nesson could not think of a single thing to say, so great was his shock. And so it is for that reason, Mr. Nesson, that I would encourage you to leave this matter in the capable hands of British intelligence, along with our American contacts. Your help has been most valuable, but now it would be in your best interest and Mr. Penderwinkle's best interest if you forgot what you have seen today, after I hang up this phone. British intelligence, started Nesson. Mr. Nesson, Cranley said, interrupting his thoughts. Do I make myself clear? Uh, 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 crystal, Mr. Cranley, crystal clear, Nissen affirmed. Very good. Like I said, if there is anything else we need, I'll be in touch. Now take a deep breath, Mr. Nissen. The worst is over. Your part is done in all of this. Relax and let it go. Let it all go as if it never happened, as if it was all a bad dream. There was a click, and the call ended. Martin Nissen stood frozen, still holding the phone to his ear as he tried to make sense of all that had happened in the last hour. Relax. Let it all go as if it never happened. If only it were all as simple as Mr. Cranley had made it sound. But Martin Nesson still had too many unanswered questions about Perry Penderwinkle, about Marcus Ingram, about what on earth a former British agent was doing working in this office. Unfortunately for Martin Nesson, there was one thing he had never been good at, and that was letting things go. Chapter 23, Nesson's Nightmare Martin Nesson lounged on his small turquoise love seat, eating from the microwavable TV dinner resting on the metal tray before him. It was now late evening, and following the incidents of earlier that morning, he had taken the first opportunity to go home. He could hardly believe the events that had unfolded, and hoped, more than once, that he might wake from this terrible nightmare that was seeming more and more like his new reality. But there would be no waking from this dream, and Nesson knew it. After speaking with Mr. Cranley, Martin discreetly snuck out of the office as discreetly as a man covered in his own sweat, blood, and vomit can in the middle of a busy workplace. Before exiting Penderwinkle's office, however, he inspected his environs, hoping for any other clue as to the identity of Perry Penderwinkle. Nesson was quite surprised to discover that Mr. Penderwinkle had stashed all sorts of things, toiletries, blankets and bedding, personal documents, and even his passport in various locations throughout his office. In one filing cabinet, Nesson had even found clothing, as if Penderwinkle was using the cabinet as his own chest of drawers. Why Perry Penderwinkle would be living out of his office was a question that had stumped Martin Nesson. Certainly it was not because he couldn't afford a place of his own. His salary was more than adequate for him to find a place to live, and, come to think of it, Nesson seemed to remember Penderwinkle mentioning an apartment he had moved into when he first began this job. So why was he no longer living there? Had he been evicted? Nesson looked across the room at the small box of items he had removed from Perry's office. His passport, a stack of letters, a wallet, and a set of keys. Nesson had an idea. He got up from his dinner and walked over to the box, flipping through the stack of letters until he found an envelope with Penderwinkle's address on it. Then he grabbed the set of keys as well. There were four keys on the keyring. One of them Nesson recognized, as he had a similar one of his own. It was an office key. Another of the keys was very small, and likely a key to Penderwinkle's mailbox. 
The other two keys were quite ordinary, and Nesson guessed them to be Perry's apartment keys, one for entry into the apartment building and one for the apartment itself. Martin glanced at the clock hanging on the wall opposite him. It was just past 10.30. Penderwinkle's address was in Soho, a 15-minute cab ride at this time of night, from Nesson's place on the Upper East Side. Without a second thought, Nesson grabbed his jacket from the hall closet, headed down to the street, and hailed a cab. Twenty minutes later, Martin Nesson was standing on Thompson Street, double-checking the piece of mail that was addressed to Mr. Perry Penderwinkle. There was the building, across the street, a skinny apartment building no more than five or six stories tall, sandwiched between another, newer building and a small restaurant that had gone out of business. So this was the residence of Perry Penderwinkle. Nesson's heart began to beat faster in anticipation as he crossed the street and approached the building's front door. He tried one of the keys in the lock. The first one did not fit, but the second key did. Nesson heard the click of the door unlocking and the door swung inward, revealing a long, dimly lit hallway with a staircase at the end. What am I getting myself into, Martin Nesson thought, as he took his first step into the curious world of Perry Penderwinkle. Chapter 24, Mischievous Martin Martin did not encounter a single soul as he made his way up the multiple flights of steps to Penderwinkle's apartment. Perhaps it was for the best, as there weren't that many units in the building, and he was certain he stuck out like a sore thumb as he wandered the abandoned hallways. The eerie silence of the building did little to calm his nerves while he searched for Perry's apartment. When he found it a few moments later, he took one last look around the hall, careful to make sure no one was coming before quietly approaching the apartment door and slipping the key into the lock. With a slight jiggle and twist of the handle, Nesson had the door open. He ducked inside quickly, closing the door behind him before turning on the lights. What he found inside, once he'd located the light switch, was an altogether modest apartment upon first inspection. Martin wasn't sure exactly what he had expected to find. The furniture was functional and appeared to have been assembled with little attention given to any particular style. A wing-back chair, a small sofa, a coffee table, and a pair of bookshelves sat in the main living room. The adjoining kitchen, which Nesson had immediately found himself in after entering the apartment, was small, and the open cupboards were empty. There were a few pieces of clothing draped across the back of the sofa, and on the kitchen counter was a small stack of unopened mail, though it appeared to be mostly junk mail. Nesson made his way through the living room, ready to inspect the other two rooms, the bathroom and the bedroom. The bathroom held no clues as to the life of Perry Penderwinkle, other than that he seemed little concerned with bathroom cleanliness. The shower, for one, had patches of mould growing near the drain and up the walls. The sink and toilet bowl were both stained and the trash can was overflowing. No great revelation lay in this room. So, having made no great discovery in this room, Martin made his way toward Perry's bedroom, hoping that there he'd find something of interest. Martin Nesson entered Penderwinkle's bedroom, searching desperately for the light switch. The shades had been left down and in the evening light it was difficult to see much of anything in here. When he did find the light switch, Nesson was greeted with disappointment. He flipped the switch but nothing happened. He tried again, but with the same result, dead bulb. Perfect. Surely there must be another light in this room. As his eyes adjusted, more of the room came into focus, and Martin spotted what he was reasonably sure was the silhouette of a lampshade standing next to Penderwinkle's bed. Feeling his way across the room, he found the shade and then the switch. 
instantly filling the room with a warm golden light. The bedroom was not large, with barely enough space for the bed, nightstand, small desk and dresser that had all been crammed into the space. There was a small closet in one corner as well. But all these factors were overshadowed by the state of the room. Clothes and papers were thrown all over the floor, the desk and the bed. A few dresser drawers lay on the floor, and the window fan had been wrenched from the window, discarded in a corner of the room. This room had been turned upside down. Martin Nesson had never seen a room in such disarray. It reminded him of something he'd see on a television show, after someone's house had been robbed. He couldn't believe that Perry would do this to his own apartment. Was it this other man, Marcus? Had Perry come home to discover this mess, and that's why he had decided to stay at the office? If that was the case, Perry knew someone was after him. Suddenly, Martin Nesson felt quite unsafe, standing in Perry Penderwinkle's ransacked apartment. What if someone, whoever was here before, came back? As if on cue, Nesson heard a sound from the other room, the sound of a door opening, then closing, the sound of soft footsteps walking from the kitchen to the living room. Someone else had entered the apartment.